So we keep on keeping on. Hey, little humans, I'm Norma Jean, and this is Stay Wild, the podcast about how to keep your quirks in the wondrous world. This is episode 14, and today we're talking to Jerry Jariwala, who's also known as the Funnel Guy. For those of you listening, you'd probably, if you, if you know me personally, I'm a huge business strategy geek. So this was a really fun interview talking about how to create processes in your business that get people to buy your product or service. So it's really about marketing strategy, how to get eyeballs and keep that customer engaged, continuing that relationship, which I think is so much fun. Today's episode is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I'm a singer songwriter. I draw an original daily doodle cartoon on my website, Instagram, and you can see it all at NJ loves. That's NJ like Norma Jean loves.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, write us a review, and share it with your friends. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also hear it on SoundCloud as well, which is really exciting. We've also teamed up with Bali Spirit Festival to offer you guys a special deal. If you're coming to Bali, if you're coming to Bali Spirit Festival, which is an amazing week, a lot of the guests on the show are actually going to be presenting because you run into some really amazing people with amazing stories here in Bali. And we're really so grateful. I'm so grateful and blessed that I get to share them with you guys. So if you are going to come, please use the code stay wild for a one week pass or stay wild abundance. If you're going for the full enchilada abundance pass and let's get to the show. All right. Hi everyone. I'm here with Jerry Jarawala, the funnel guy. Hi Jerry. Hi. How's it going? Absolutely great. Good. So we're coming at you live from Hubud in Bali. It's a co-working space. It's really fun. It's like totally made out of bamboo and it's raining outside. So you can maybe hear that a little bit. So Jerry is the funnel guy. Jerry, what is a funnel guy? (laughs) Uh, The funnel guy is a done it for you agency, which is set up to essentially take all the pain away from creating sales funnels. Sales funnels are a process which we use in order to go and have a conversation with our customers or potential clients all the way from setting up the ads to creating the landing pages to creating email automation sequences and then optimizing those into transactions and multiple transactions often. So this is all like online e-commerce, right? For those of you at home who are like, what's what's that mean? It's online. Absolutely. So it's taking our customers who are predominantly online mm-hmm. um, and optimizing the flow of the, um, the flow of the sequence that the customer takes through their journey. So how to get people to buy better? Yeah, and not to be completely in their face because quite often you might have a Facebook advert that goes straight to a store mm. and the customer really doesn't know what, who that store belongs to, anything about that store, and it's quite, mm. um, it can be quite intrusive um, when when you go from like ads straight to a storefront. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like, you know, when we're talking about in the e-commerce space, right? A lot of things are online these days. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, there's so much noise out there. It's, it's so interesting that you're able to, you know, get the eyes on what people really want the eyes on. So how did you start your journey as the funnel guy? (laughs) Well, it's funny you ask because, um, 
I exited my last business in March 2017, so this year, mm-hmm. and I felt like I needed to take a break and just travel the world a little yeah. bit. So I started my journey in uh, Hong Kong, and I went through five different countries before arriving at Bali, mm. where I'd planned to meet a, a very good friend of mine. And uh, we were sitting at dinner one day, and um, we were talking, we, we basically were reverse engineering our, our my, my previous success mm. and also what was failure. the previous success well this is going to be my fourth startup mm-hmm. um, so I so uh, you're like a startup guy yeah <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> you're like a business let me just make one real quick yeah okay. absolutely so I mean um, my previous successes include a locksmith business that grew from two people to a hundred people within five years and a seven-figure turnover. Is that online as well? No, that wasn't online, but we generated leads from online. Cool. And we created, we created a nice flow that the customer would go through and experience a customer journey, even though they started off being in trouble. Um, so that, that, was the, that was one of the business. And the, we had a second business that was concentrating on making beautiful bulletproof doors. So Bulletproof doors. Oh, right. So for okay. the top yeah. kind of 5%, mm-hmm. uh, that was also based in London. Mm-hmm. and That's where you're from, London. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then I created a another business in Tanzania, mm-hmm. which uh, was family run. And we started from zero and took that to uh, a very large customer base within three years. And we were importing safety and security equipment mm-hmm. uh, for the oil, mine and gas industry in, in Tanzania. And that's a pretty big industry there, right? Absolutely, yeah. Fantastic, cool. So that's really interesting. You know, it sounds like you had a business that was really brick and mortar, you know, a physical business, and then you got the skills, you know, you upskilled yourself to be able to draw people in, right? Mm -hmm. And have them have the experience you want them to have, right? So like when someone loses their keys, they're not happy, right? Absolutely. They're like, oh my God, like F the world, like, you know, F my life. Like it's, you know, it's hard. But then I think if they have a positive experience, it, it almost lessens the blow a little bit. Absolutely. No one wants to call a locksmith repeatedly. You know, you don't want a subscription model to a locksmith. <laughs> right. Um, uh, you don't want like Starbucks style five, you know, right. buy five and get the six month free. Right, um, right. So uh, it was our job just to try and make that easier on the client. Mm, absolutely. So you're from London? I'm from London, yes. You're from born, London. Born and raised in London. Born and raised in London. Okay, and how did you get started in your first business? Uh, the first business, actually, uh, my dad was a locksmith. And one day I was working for a, a large corporate, um, one of the big four. And in accounting. Yeah, when people um, say big four, it generally means, right, like one of the big four accounting firms. Absolutely. So um, I was doing a little bit of consultancy there. Mm -hmm. And one day I walk outside my house and I saw that my father had had a head-on collision. He'd spent all these uh, years saving up his money to buy his, you know, really, really, I want this beautiful van, which, you know, as as a tradesman, they really look after their tools. They really love their tools like their children. Yeah, there's a pride in the craft. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, for him, it was it was his tools. And then secondary, it was his vehicle because he spent, that was his moving office. Okay, right. Uh, okay. He spent, spent so much time in it. So he went and bought this beautiful vehicle. And then a few months later, he's like nearly totaled it in, by 
driving into a, a, a lamppost. Oh, right. That's a big uh, accident. Yeah, it was a big accident. Yeah. It was, he, he was, you know, he could have been really, really, really injured. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he fell asleep at the wheel because being a tradesman, um, you are essentially replacing time for money. Yes. So if you work 40 hours, then you get paid for 40 hours. But he was the kind of guy that always went above and beyond. And you, as a as a locksmith, you have to be able to go out at all times of the day and night. Yeah, I mean, so people lose their keys at three in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah. So this was one of those incidents. I have left my home in the morning. I've seen that he's had an accident. I went and spoke to my mum, found out what happened, and essentially went to work and quit. So <laughs> I made you, a very, like you arrived at your job, and then you're like. Hi guys. Yeah. I have obligations. Like family's more important. Absolutely. So essentially I just kind of walked out. Okay. Nicely. Yeah. Uh, as nice as possible as you can do it. But so your dad had his own locksmith business. Yeah. He, he was a self-employed one man band. Okay. One is, man band. Which is what we call uh, a self-employed tradesman in England. Ah, okay. Got so, it. And there's all these little quirky, you know, trade, trades titles. Like in Australia, they call electrician sparkies. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So one man band. Okay. Yeah. So um, I then uh, didn't tell my dad I did that. And then not next morning, he asked me why I hadn't gone to work. Right. Like, hey, buddy, where's your suit? Yeah. Yeah. So, um and I told him that I really wanted to work with him. Mm-hmm. And he went absolutely ballistic. Right, okay. He was like, you know, we've spent all these, uh, all this money. Sending and you to school. Sending you to school and, you know, you have a degree and you have this and that and all this kind of, you know, father fatherly rage at the time. Mm. Um, and now you want to leave everything and start working with your hands. Right. Except that he didn't really understand what I had in my mind. Right. And um, are your parents from London as well? My parents were immigrants. Okay. My mother was a refugee from Uganda. Okay. Uh, and my father was a student from Tanzania. Okay. Who decided to fall in love and get married and settle in, in London. In London. Yeah, that's very common, I think, with... Because uh, living abroad, you know, you meet people from all walks of life, all cultures, and there there seems to be this, you know, thing when you move to a Western country and you're from, you know, an de- underdeveloped, developing country um, where you put everything into your kids' education so that they can get that corporate job. Absolutely. And it's so much pressure. Yeah, it is. It is uh, a lot of pressure. But I just knew that uh, after doing a couple of corporate jobs, my my heart really wasn't in it. Yeah. Um, from a very young age, I was out there hustling. My father took me to the markets at sixteen, uh, sorry, seventeen years old, just before I started my first degree, mm-hmm. and um, that's how I learned to actually make money because okay. there was no way I could go to university unless I made my own money. so Unless you paid your own way. Yeah. Okay. So I did that by um, setting up market stalls and selling okay. crockery in the market in a place called Woolwich Market in, in, in the southeast of London. Okay. This is so interesting. So for those of you who aren't super familiar, London has these like markets, right? They're kind of like uh, like, a, like a fair or like, a, no. like, like you'd see at festivals, but they're year round, right? They're year round. And normally you'd get, you, you get some markets that just appear on a Saturday, some markets that just 
just appear on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. So it might be like um, a center of town that's pedestrianized, mm -hmm. and then suddenly on a Saturday, you've got all these market stores and, and they close people, the street down. They close the street down, and then you've got these guys selling bananas. And right. I was there selling crockery and homewares to old little ladies. Like like plates. Plates. Uh, Where did you get the plates? Well, that's what my dad went and did. Um, he went to a place which was known for um, what we call job lots. Job lots. Yeah, so a job lot is like discarded like seconds. So okay. it might be a knife that has like a little bit of a nick on it uh -huh. and it can't be sold at a department store. So they put it to the side and yeah. they gather all these kind of bits and bobs and it might be a plate with a scratch on it. Usually very, very usable. Right. So things that had a couple of quirks, but for some people those quirks didn't matter. Absolutely. So if you had a, a nice plate and it was bright and it was yellow, but it had a scratch on the back, you couldn't sell that right. in a department store, but okay. in a market it was perfectly usable. Okay. So my dad went and picked up this whole job lot of <laughs> loads of different things and essentially gave me the keys to a van and said, there you go. If you can sell this, there's enough profit in this to be able to actually get yourself to university. But if you don't, then tough luck, buddy. Good luck, you know buddy. I mean? Okay. So that was my first real experience of kind of getting my teeth into business. So mm. by the time I'd finished university and gone on to the corporate job, I really didn't want it. Um, I just wanted to do something. I was always into Lego and I always tell my staff, you know, mm. building a business is like building Lego. You building use, your business is like building Legos. Absolutely. Okay. You use your imagination and you make the colors fit together and you make it bigger and bigger. And sometimes that Lego, that Lego statue will fall down because you haven't made the base right. But the next time you build it up, you make the base bigger. So it's a very simple analogy, but I like it. I've always had a fascination with Legos. So. Yeah, that makes sense. I've been yeah. to Legoland once in California. There's a whole Legoland. It's, it's, in, it's a lot of Lego. Yeah. Um, so it's so interesting because I've heard, you know, a couple interviews with Richard Branson and, and a few other entrepreneurs. And there seems to be this thing where for a lot of people, if you've enjoyed that hustle or you've had success, even minor success when you were younger, when you get older, you don't really want to, you know, box yourself in, like literally in a cubicle. Mm. There seems to be this like, okay, you know, I've been in the world, I've seen some things, I've made some money, like, you know, I don't want to wear a suit every day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just kept thinking when I was at the corporate job that I was making more money as a student on the market because... What I didn't say was that my dad ended up going back to the wholesale place and picking up three more job lots, whereas one job lot would have been enough to take me through one year of university. Really? That's quite and a lot. Actually, I went and did it three times over. So there was a natural sales ability there that I was just trying to kind of explore. Yeah. And um, I really enjoyed the kind of personal interaction with these old ladies and, you know, the... You know, you'd have a little chat with them about mm. what's happening, and they'd call you son, and, Aww. you know, it was really cute. Yeah, and, um, that's sweet. As a 17-year-old, it was brilliant, brilliant experience, because where, where else are you going to get that kind of job, you know? So, that's, I really love that. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, I think there's, there's something about sales that people don't talk about, because I've done some sales as well. Um, and there's that personal interaction with people mm. and making them feel like they got what they wanted. Absolutely. And you gave it to them. 
Yeah, um, essentially it was a combination. I mean, people buy from people. There's no doubt about that. And that is essentially the crux of the funnel guy. Because through this whole experience of running four businesses and some I had some really bad experiences with, but most of them were But they successful. were lessons, right? Were Sometimes lessons, things are... Yeah. I have this whole thing where it says, you know, I, I always say to myself, things don't have to last forever. And sometimes things are just done. And what you've got out of it is maybe an opportunity or a lesson or a friendship or, you know, whatever it is you were supposed to get out of it. And you didn't give up. You just move forward. Yeah. And um, for those that are listening that are possibly going through that right now, just uh, one piece of advice, just soldier on, you know, just go through the pain because on, on the other side, there's a reason why you've, you've been taken through that journey. Um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, so you had a couple of businesses in uni, you were doing some stuff and then you were working corporate and your dad had an accident and you were like, okay, I want to work with my dad. I mm. want to like get on board. So I, um, I joined, uh, there was no way he would allow me to just sit and cut uh, keys. <laughs> no, he, he, the opposite. There was no way he would sit there, uh, allow me to sit there behind a computer and make a business plan or a marketing plan or an accounting plan. He was like, right, you've made this decision. Now you're going to stick by it. But there's one thing that you need to know. If you're going to become the owner of a locksmith business, yeah. then you better learn how to become a locksmith. Okay, so you were cutting keys. So I was cutting From keys. From the ground up. Ground up. But he yeah. taught me how to pick open locks. Um, That's useful. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a good life skill, yeah. <laughs> um, pick open locks. And once again, I got that... F- yeah, that interaction with the customer. Mm. So I was there in front of the customer, going through the human psychology of how to calm someone down. I went. I had ladies crying on my shoulder as soon as I turned up because yeah. it was like a, a knight in shining armor kind of situation. Right. Um, I had drunk people being really aggressive. Um, I had people question my integrity after I'd opened the door. They would say, "Well, what stops you from doing this tomorrow?" Because, of course, like, I have a skill that I can use for good and I can use for bad. And from a... That's like that's like having a surgery where you have a leg amputated and then saying to the doctor, wait, but what's going to stop you from cutting the other one off tomorrow? <laughs> that's so bizarre. Like, what a bizarre thing. To say. Like, professional... Into- yeah. Yeah. So, weird. Um, it was very weird, but you had to learn to deal with it. Yeah. I right? guess when people are in a vulnerable place, right, it's so interesting how... Like so many different reactions come out of that, whether it's a gratitude, whether it's a aggression, whether it's um, blaming. It's so interesting. There must be like a really, it sounds like it's such a big psychological thing that you learn from it. Absolutely. Because uh, it's very common to see people blame everybody else, but themselves. Right. And you didn't lose their keys. You just showed up to let them in their house Absolutely. or their car or whatever. Yeah. So there were, there were all these lessons as I was going through this. Mm. Towards the end, we'd grown to 100 people nationwide. Mm-hmm. I was implementing marketing strategies using analytics yeah. to be able to find out where our biggest pots of money were right. around the country. So you expanded from a one-man band. Absolutely. You were moving into an orchestra kind of moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I wasn't... I I wasn't ready to just sit back and although as much as I love the physical interaction with the client I was all about the Lego yeah so um, I really wanted to grow something and build it and see a success and really create a brand so we eventually create a brand we 
Uh, we had a really striking marketing campaign that was consistent through Yellow Pages, and in, in those times, uh, yeah. it was Yellow Pages. No, Yellow Pages were the thing, and it's so interesting because I've worked in some ad sales as well, and there's some people, like old school people, that are like, I made my money in Yellow Pages. I mean, and we used, like, I, I knew some people who used to sell out of the Yellow Pages, and it was like, I mean, before the internet, you could write your own ticket. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not the yellow pages and like the newspaper were where people looked for things. Well, we were spending six figures. Yeah, easily. Um, per annum uh, on yellow pages ads all throughout England. Yeah. And we learned some really big lessons about marketing. And that's where really, really where I learned to mm-hmm. understand the value of analytics. Mm. And we started split testing in those days, which is an obviously split testing is an online term. People associate split testing with online. Yeah. So um, for, for those of you at home, analytics are like the analyzation of who is looking at your website, who's buying your products, who's searching for your keywords on Google, correct? Yes, but this was before that. Okay. So we were analyzing the usage of our different ads within the yellow pages okay so, so this was more physical this was a physical ad so within the yellow pages section of locksmithing for example our brand would have four different types of ads targeting different audiences with different telephone numbers so what we would do is we would be able to see which ads were attracting which kind of phone call ah, like a human experiment it was market research. It yeah. was exactly that. Yeah. So using that, we were able to harness all types of customers. So we would call. There's a there's a newspaper in England called The Sun, mm-hmm. and it's the complete opposite from a tabloid. Yeah. So it's kind of where you see the sports pages, and it's kind of what uh, a locksmith would read uh, right. in the back of his van, you know, or what is that kind of demographic Mm -hmm. and we had uh, that kind of ad styled up for example we had a different kind of ad which was more in the design of a a professional design so we would harness um, and attract people that were attracted design completely different type of demographic and so on yeah and with all these ads we were Um, split testing areas and sub areas within those areas so one ad might have five phone numbers on it because the yellow pages coverage covered those five areas right so we were really really targeting it was micro targeting yeah that's so interesting because now online marketing seems to be doing that but i don't think a lot of people apart from larger agencies did that before google came along absolutely so we were we had a really really advanced lesson in audience segmentation, mm. um, which is then followed by the analytics of those segments and the sales which occurred from that. So I built systems to to track that customer journey through all the way from ad all the way through the sale, mm-hmm. and then the subsequent transactions that happened after that. So essentially. That is the, that was really the birth of the funnel, right? And that is what a sales funnel is. So for those of you at home listening, I'm, you know, Stay Wild is one of those podcasts where we cover a variety of subjects. But for those of you who know me personally, I'm such a business strategy geek, and so a sales funnel is really how the path, right? It's the pathway that someone takes from initially searching or needing your service to having the service or the product. Yeah, and it's also it's it's not only the the add to the product; it's all the it's customer experience between that, and that's critical. Yes, it's building the relationship 
between you and the customer. Right. So in our case, um, what we did was we would have a 15-minute check-in by phone call every single 15 minutes between the time that the customer booked in the job till the locksmith got there because we were in London. So there's traffic. Yeah, you know, and, and like how many times have you called someone like a like a service and you're like, okay, buddy, it's been like an hour. Yeah. I mean, even if it's just a pizza, like you're home and you're like, where's my pizza? Absolutely. <laughs> so we we understood that the customer was in a distressed moment. Mm. And what better way of pacifying a distressed person by uh, what we did was we just gave them the reassurance that yeah. we haven't forgotten about you. Yeah. You're there. We know that you're there. Yeah. Our guy's on the way, but they are stuck in traffic. And every 15 minutes, we'd check in with them just to give them the, re- the reassurance. Yeah. And that made absolutely 100% all of the difference. Oh my gosh, totally. Totally. That's so smart. It's And it's so interesting because knowing those cues, no matter what industry you're in, like when you're in a restaurant and like the service is really good, you know, like I studied hospitality management in uni and um, in, in college. And it's one of those things where, you know, you learn that during the course of service, right? You don't want a waiter that is there too much, but you don't want a waiter that's not there. And it's, it's different for every business. It's different for every customer. So you have to have the bones, the structure of it for your business. And then on top of that, you have to have the individualization for each customer. Absolutely. Cool stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a definite journey. And that was really where, where I schooled, schooled myself through experiences and through yeah. interactions of other much more qualified people in the traditional world of advertising. Right. Um, and all this was doing, all these experiences were building up um, my knowledge base. Yeah. And that brought me to the moment when mm. I got to Bali. Amazing. So how did you, what was the transition like, I guess, for you going from the analog world of print ads and doing all the analytics yourself to the world of, you know, where we are now with Google Analytics and how everything's done online? Like, what was that transition like for you? Were you like, wow, someone's doing it for me. It's automatic. Or what was that like? Uh, interesting you say, well, we were the first locksmith company back then mm-hmm. that we were first to market okay. on Google Ads. Yeah. So we had monopoly position because there were, there were hardly, any, uh, hardly anyone else was there. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a tech geek. Okay. So I always was interested in online stuff. I had AOL Messenger back in the yeah, day. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, I, and my parents were really supportive of that because mm-hmm. they saw it as education. As, mm-hmm. as long as it was education, my parents were very, very supportive. Oh, that's nice. Great. So I really thank, thank them for that experience and that caused a curi- curiosity in my mind, mm-hmm. which really and truly um, gave me the ability to go first to the market using Google ads, then looking at the analytics and looking at all those kind of things that would improve our conversion rates and hit rates and all the, uh, all the things that you would analyze in, in, in an ad campaign, but online. Cool. So, so you already knew that these things worked for your business on yeah. a physical level. And then when Google came along, you were like, oh, this is my thing. It, they just made it easier. Yeah, absolutely. And you were able to, it sounds like you were able to kind of apply what you learned from this one business, right? You started from the ground up, you worked with your dad, you learned how to cut keys, and then you went to print ads and analyzing the, the effectiveness of the marketing, and then also how to implement solutions that reassure the customer. Absolutely. And then you took that and you were like, let me just throw this at some other businesses. Yeah. 
So we we created two or three more businesses, mm-hmm. well, three more businesses yeah. after that, um, which still stayed within the kind of security realm, yeah. but were more They're personalized. They're similar genre, yeah. Uh, they were similar genre, very different demographics. Mm. I probably won't take you through all of them because we only have limited time, but that the kind of message in that was all these things were funnels. Yeah. So all these customer journeys and that what I realized was that that is how I think. So this is so interesting. It's because it, everybody has like a way that they think. Absolutely. Right? And for a lot of people, it's hard to figure out what it is. Yeah. And I, I only realized quite recently that that was my gift, that mm. I could see the end before you've even told me the whole story. So what I mean by that is that if you're, if you tell me, if you tell me you're selling X, Y, Z, then I already see the customer journey before it's even ended. So I really wanted to harness that and help people to grow their businesses and to really harness the experience and knowledge that I've essentially paid in experience for mm. and apply that to, to helping other people. Oh, super cool. Well, we're going to take a short break and then when we come back, maybe have some tips for, for people about how to create that sales experience. Great. Oh, thanks. Exciting news, little humans. Today's episode is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I make all my art, music, daily doodle cartoons, which you can see on my website, NJ Loves. That's NJ like NormaJeanLoves.com. We've also teamed up with Bali Spirit Festival. It's been mentioned a few times on the podcast, and some of the guests are going to present there. Levi Banner, Nadine McNeil, Awahoshi. It's April 2nd through 8th, 2018. And we've teamed up with them to offer you guys a discount to come to Bali and come to Bali Spirit Festival. So hopefully it's that extra little push to get you over here. Use the code STAYWILD for $40 off the five-day spirit pass or Stay Wild Abundance for $50 off the full enchilada abundance pass. So hopefully for those of you that are listening to the podcast and really resonating with the content, with the guests, with the spirit of Bali, it'll help get you here to Bali to meet some of the people that have come on the podcast and really join the spirit of what we're doing. If you do like the podcast, as usual, please subscribe, write us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, share the show with your friends. It's available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and also Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. So, you know, every time you hear a bell, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> and every time you write a review and share the show, other people are able to find it. It moves us up in the rankings. So hopefully in the in the algorithm. So hopefully. Hopefully um, more people will find the show and can share in all of these amazing stories and journeys and niche expertise. So I hope you're enjoying today's episode and let's get back to it. All right. So we're back with Jerry Jarnwella. Hi, Jerry. Hi. Um, Jerry is the funnel guy, as we talked about before the break. And so Jerry, now you've, you've kind of taken this experience. You, you learned that this is really your strength in terms of creating the experience for the customer so that they feel reassured so that they don't feel bugged about stuff. And now you have a business that actually does that. Absolutely. Yeah. So the funnel guy consults and creates the actual strategy 
that online businesses or sometimes online stroke offline businesses right. will... Or just businesses. Yeah, just businesses um, will harness to take the customer journey all the way from attraction, uh, attracting the, the client or the, what we call the prospect mm. um, to turn them into a client and then to have a repeat clientele mm. and a so base of build clientele. that ongoing relationship so for those of you listening what is that path generally like what are like you know a few basic general steps that happen on every sales transaction um well it starts with traffic okay. so what i mean by traffic is it could be a online user experience going going from facebook and that might be a facebook ad or it could be a link on a blog or it could be a link from uh, any kind of uh, traffic source online, so YouTube, okay. Pinterest, things like that. Okay, so if we're going to have a physical example, let's say like I have the Norman Jean Loves Doodles widget, right? Mm-hmm. Hello, this is my widget. Yes. So you're online surfing the internet, and then what does that process start with? You're like, oh, I saw this widget on Facebook, and then what? what and then you click on it. Is that no? Normally, what would what would happen is uh, um, there would be an ad that entices the person to click. So, And it's already targeted to the widget person who, who is looking at the widgets, correct? Absolutely. So we call You're, that an audience. Right. That's your audience or target demographic. Ta- target demographic. Mm-hmm. So if if Joe Blogs is my target demographic and I want to sell Nora's widget, mm-hmm. then what I would do is I would set up a Facebook ad which would target Joe Blogs mm-hmm. um, with a compelling reason to click the ad. So, okay, and that's called the call to action, right? That's a call to action um, uh, with with a really compelling headline. Okay. It could be a video. Nowadays, video advertising is very, very com- uh, common. Yeah. And you might see a guy or yourself selling your vid- widget or showing how your widget mm-hmm. works on a video. Right, like, I oh, know- well, here is this widget. Exactly. So I want to know more. I click. Mm-hmm. And there might be what we call a lead magnet. Mm-hmm. And a lead magnet is usually giving the prospect something in exchange for their personal information. Okay. So we're not talking about underwear size. We're talking about some, some, something as simple as an email address. Okay. So if your widget was, say, for example, in a yo-yo, mm-hmm. it could be here are 100 tricks. Right. Right. So right. here's a, an ebook with a hundred tricks for this particular widget. Now, if I'm really interested in this widget, then the widget is useless to me unless I've got your hundred tricks. So I'll offer you the hundred tricks for free mm-hmm. in exchange for your email address. Mm-hmm. And what that's doing is that it's giving the customer or the prospect, I should say prospect because they're not customizing, mm-hmm. exponential value. Right. And it's all always about giving much more than perceived mm-hmm. so you well yeah because i mean now you could do 100 tricks absolutely like and you, you are right okay you're on your way to yo-yo fandom absolutely okay so what will happen next is that you might uh, get an email that says thank thank you very much mm-hmm. joe blogs uh we received your email and here's your free free hundred tricks right a week later you might or three days later you might get another email to say by the way Here's a test experience for this widget. Mm-hmm. Now, if your widget was priced at 100 bucks, this next stage in the funnel would be called a, a tripwire. And it's not really as it, as harsh as it sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the technical name. It's just a further it. incentive. It's a further incentive. But what the, the whole point of that this part of the process mm. is to take 
the prospect into actually becoming a customer. Okay. And the definition of a customer is someone that actually buys something. Right. Right? So yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, but otherwise, they're not a customer and they stay right. as a prospect. Once we have done that... Mm. And the whole per- point of this part of the funnel mm. is to offer something really, really valuable once again, but in exchange for a small amount of money. Okay. So this part of the process might be a smaller version of the uh, of the w- widget, widget or a test part of the widget or something like that or half the w- widget, widget. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it, you would charge something like a dollar to seven dollars or, right. or whatever it might right. be. Right, the so disposable yo-yo widget. Exactly, okay. something that evaporates after mm-hmm. a month or something. Right. Biodegradable, yeah. Okay. Precisely. Um, so we've been through that. Mm-hmm. Now um, they're now a customer, so we've validated that they're really engaged with our, our organization, mm-hmm. and we continue the conversation. Now... A customer-supplier relationship is something that I always refer to as a conversation. Yeah. Because it's an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something which is really natural. Yeah. You know, you and I are talking now, we're having a conversation, and we will continue to have that conversation after this recording so and that that will turn into a friendship and we'll be best <laughs> buddies and uh, if i get you in my funnel then you know we'll, we'll be growing up together you know? this is so, great this is great this is great if i get you in my funnel ladies and gentlemen no no well done um okay so it's about it's about that conversation absolutely okay so we continue the conversation with now what is a customer mm-hmm. and that might be giving them more value. So normally the conversation is uh, dealt by by email. Mm -hmm. So I might be showing you a few more tricks, how to maintain your widget, how to possibly clean your widget, how Mm. to possibly change the colors of your widget. Here's this widget cleaner. Absolutely. And uh, now we actually have to sell them the widget. Okay. So now that we're seeing that using analytics that yeah. this customer is engaged and he's reading about cleaning it, we're preparing the, the preparing the, the the customer to buy the core value product, mm-hmm. which actually is going to be a hundred bucks because he paid two two bucks for the. Um, Disposable. The, the disposable one. right. And now he's ready, and you've primed him to to be engaged enough to want to buy the $100 item. And he's got all the information to do that. So you then make him an offer. And at that time, you could offer him a, a possibly a discount or not and just sell him what, what you need to sell him. That's called your presenting your core product, your okay. primary product. Presenting your core product. Absolutely. Okay. But it doesn't stop there. Mm-hmm. It goes on to something else. So the next piece of the communication might be um, if it's a yo-yo, for example, it could be a pack of 10 strings because strings break in yo-yos. You've got to maintain this thing. You've got to maintain it. Right. We're continuing the conversation. Just because he's right. bought now doesn't mean that it's right. the end of the conversation. Or welcome to the club of people who have yo-yos and this is a community kind of thing. Precisely. Right? So pay four ninety nine membership. You get access to our exclusive Facebook group where we show tricks and and all kinds of... And we all meet up once... It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. You get the idea. So you're creating a value. It's all about continuously adding value. And when, you, when you're adding value and you've got someone engaged mm. and you're giving them value, there's no reason why they can't continue to have that conversation. 
conversation. Mm. So that's that. That's the next part because what you're doing is you're maximizing the profit of the core value, and we call that next part a pro- profit maximizer. Mm-hmm. So that could be in the form of what I've just explained. Mm-hmm. Now, if they don't go for that, the next part is what we call the continuous path or the follow-up path. Mm-hmm. And the follow-up path can interact at any stage during the previous five stages. Okay. So if the person... They can drop off at any point can, in that process. Yeah, but They you can don't, drop off when they click, after they click the video and give you their email. They can drop off after they bought the $2 thing. Like, any point in that process. Any point in that process, they can drop off. Now, the key here is the... This is the secret. The secret is you don't stop talking to them. Okay, I like this. This is a secret. The conversation is not over. It's not over. And honestly, I can't force you to buy when I want you to buy. Right. It's not up to me. You're the one that's buying. So we'll be we'll be here when you're ready to buy. Yeah. And that's what the critical thing is. Often business owners think you have to buy now. Well, no. They don't have to buy now. Mm. They will buy when they want to buy. You have to, as the business owner, make sure that you're always in the front of that person's mind. Mm -hmm. So when they are ready to buy, Mm -hmm. you're there. So even though Amazon has an amazing advertising campaign and U.S. customers are buying from Amazon more and more than they're buying from Walmart, for example, but because Walmart is continuing the conversation by being there physically, they make a really good competition for Amazon. And that's something that's going on right now. Really, really, you know, these two giants are going head to head. Yeah, mano y mano. Exactly. (laughs) So um, it doesn't mean that because you're a small business, you can't compete against the Goliaths. You can. You just have to have the right message. You just have to have the right conversation with your prospect, with your customer, and continue that conversation to make sure that you're Mm. always there. So it's about figuring out what that conversation is and who you're having it with. Absolutely. And that's Very where cool. the funnel guy comes in. That's where the funnel guy comes in. It's so interesting, you know, because a lot of that uh, interaction is primarily through email. And I was talking to some people about this a while ago. And for some reason nowadays, when you social media, because it's public, mm-hmm. doesn't seem as personal as email. Like you'll get the same message as someone who... Uh, on their Instagram, as you will in your inbox. But if it's in your inbox, you feel like there's a there's a personal aspect to it. Yeah. Um, having said that, there is a new way of doing this, yeah. and that is something really interesting. It's called something. It's called chatbots. Chatbot. 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 Yes. Okay. That's where a business can have a conversation and continue the conversation mm-hmm. using something like Facebook Messenger. Oh. So we we implement these kind of strategies to be even more personal than email. Is there a real person in that chatbot? Not not all the time. Not all the time, but it can be. But it's just a way of the business being able to interact with you in real time. So let's say like I watched the video of the widget and I clicked like, but I didn't put in my email. Would a chatbot then message me? No. uh, How it works would be you'd, you'd go from the ad to the landing page, the landing page would tell you all about this hundred tricks, for widget example, yo-yo, right? widget yo-yo, and you'd say, talk to me, there would be a button that says, talk to me about this yo-yo, and you'd click that button, and immediately, the business is now talking to you about that wi- widget on Facebook Messenger. 
Okay, got it. So you have that personal interaction. Absolutely. From like the very beginning, from very close to the very beginning. Yeah. And this is like cutting edge technology. That's next level. I've yeah. never, that's wow. Okay, it, it's right. It's cutting edge technology and it's really, really innovative. They are still working on making it as powerful as it can be. But like I said, this is like hot off the iron right now. So that's what the funnel guys really, really focusing on. I'm taking our clients to the next level mm. and basically taking the pain away from having to do it yourself. Cool. Cool. Fantastic. So before we go, um, what are some tips that you might have for our Stay Wild listeners at home about how to identify who they're having that conversation with and this and what that conversation is? That's a really good question and one that most people actually don't get right. Um, they think that because they're selling widgets mm-hmm. that people want to know about widgets but people don't want to know about widgets. People only care about themselves. The customer only cares about themselves. And what you try and find out is that what are their pain points? So where are their, where are their pains? Where, right. you know, in the case of the yo-yo, they're bored. That's their pain, right? So they, they want to try a new hobby. Right. So like what's going to change in their life with your product or service? Yeah, and I call that a product market fit. Product market fit. Yeah. And how to evaluate whether a product is fit for your market is very simple in my mind. It's the state of mind that the person is in prior to having an experience in your business and after having an experience in your business. So, for example, if I had a nutritionist and my target audience was an athlete Mm -hmm. and the athlete how does the athlete feel before he's had professional nutritional advice? And how does he have, how does he feel after he's had professional nutritional advice and obviously acted on it, but the chances are that the athletes, (laughs) and, and that's exactly where I'm getting at. If the positive, if the outcome of that question is positive, and there is a positive feeling with your prospect or your customer, mm. then the chances are that you have a product market fit. All right. Cool. That's super interesting. All right. Jerry Jarwala, and where can people find you? Well, you can always find us at funnelguy.me, which is a website, obviously. Yeah. And uh, on Facebook. Facebook. Facebook, uh, we have the Funnel Guy as our Facebook page, yeah. or me personally, Jerry Jarawala. Feel free to connect. Cool. Sounds good. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. All right, little humans. I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Jerry. And I'm going to read today's toast poem. It's unrelated. Once again, they're usually unrelated. Um, But I hope that you like it. And um, yeah, here we go. I keep these feelings in a box. All of the dear ones, tender with regard, heavy with expectation. Sometimes I want to spring it open, leave it be, set it down somewhere when my arms get tired of holding it. But I never do. It gets heavier some days when it rains. I hardly notice it on birthdays. One day I'll open it when nothing inside it could ever hurt you. It'll keep until then, though.
it'll keep. little humans. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Big thanks to Jerry Jariwala, the funnel guy for coming on and talking about his amazing story. I hope you enjoyed today's toast poem. And if you are going to come to Bali and you're coming to Bali Spirit Festival, which is this April, first week of April, use the code stay wild for a week pass to get $40 off or stay wild abundance to get $50 off the full enchilada abundance pass. I'm so grateful that we were able to partner with Bali Spirit Festival to give you guys that extra incentive to get over here to Bali. And the show is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. You can see all my art, daily doodle cartoons, music that we use for the show at NJ Loves. That's NJ like Norma Jean loves.com. Please subscribe to the show. Write us a review in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You can also find it on Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And until next time, little humans. Stay wild. So we keep on keeping on.